0: Good afternoon. Good to see you all. Thanks for coming into the area of the city, despite knowing it's a crazy time to be anywhere near the CBD at the moment. Uh, So appreciate you all having the courage to come in um, to the area and for choosing to be here. Um, I want to introduce our guest speaker for today. Uh, Pastor Proshka is the Associate um, Ministerial Secretary for the Victorian Conference, which means that she is one of the people that I can always call and I have or knock on the door and I have to be like, I need prayer, right? Um, or this is what I'm struggling with. So she's the pastor who pastors the pastors. Um, that's her job in, uh, the Victorian Conference and she does an amazing job at it. Um, I'm personally very blessed, um, by having her, um, in the conference and of course she's spoken here before. She also wears the hat of being the associate pastor at Nanawadding, um, Seventh-day Adventist Church as well. So a very busy woman and a mom of two sons. Oh, one son, one daughter, I should say, sorry. Um, and, yeah, just an amazing human being. So thanks for being here, Proshka, and I'll let you take the message for us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Before you leave, Gina, come here. You did your spill. I do my spill. Is Roy here? In the back with Josh. Can you come
0: up? Is it all right? I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> well,
1: we'll wait and see. You know, as I travel around the conference, I see different churches, different congregations, And I have to say that you guys are a very special bunch. I'm not comparing you. I'm just saying you are a very special bunch. I love your welcome. I love how you make me feel when I'm here, the conversations I have, and your spiritual focus. It is special. And I know it wouldn't be without these two people here. Uh, Gina, Roy, we really appreciate what you do, and I just want to tell you all that you're so blessed to have such amazing pastors. So, would you join me as I pray a prayer of blessing on them and a and a thanksgiving to God for what He is doing through them? Thank you. A loving God in heaven, we stand in Your presence as as brothers, as sisters, as Your sons and daughters. And, Lord, we want to thank you for the gifts you have given each one of us, and especially the gifts you have given to Gina and Roy, the way you wired them, the passion that you put in their hearts for you, for this church, for their families, and for so many people. Lord, may you pour out your blessing on them. May you continue to use them, strengthen them, and no matter life or the what the life or devils throws at them, may they always keep their eyes on you and continue to lead with passion and with courage. This is my prayer in your name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, God bless you. Thank you. Well, as you heard my name, Piroshka, the full name is Piroshkovne Fate, and I don't expect you to remember it, let alone pronounce it. Um I wasn't born in Australia. Uh, I was born in Hungary, and I talked to a few of you today, and none of the people I talked to were actually born in Australia. So that makes me feel, you know, that we got a point of connection. Um, I came to Australia quite a few years ago. I became a Christian when I was 19. I was born in an 80s family, I grew up under communism, and since then. The moment I accepted God, God put it on my heart That the way someone led you to Christ Go and do the same Hence, all my calling is to ministry So this morning We are going to have a peek at the book of Revelation How many of you have tried to read Or read parts of the book of Revelation? Can I see hands? Yeah? How many of you thought, wow, this is Quite difficult. Yeah? Am I the only one? Yeah? All right. Smiles, give it away. Those who didn't put up their hands, I knew you did raise it in your hearts. I remember one morning my daughter was about eight years old and and she slept in. And I said, What's going on, honey? And she wakes up with red eyes. Did you sleep last night? I said, I couldn't sleep, so I stayed up and I set at the fire what did you do? I was reading my Bible. What did you read? I read the book of Revelation. I said, what did you do? I said, I read the whole book, the whole book. Mom, I've got some questions. I said, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> but it's a fascinating book full of imagery, and, and some people get a little bit scared of the book of Revelation or scared reading it. So I'd like to talk about that and probably um, as we discuss it after the service, you know we can we can put some of those hazy pictures out of our mind. First of all, I would like to give credit to the people on the screen. They taught me, I read from them and they did do, did influence my sermon today. Um, first of all, let's start. Uh, In the first verse of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, I would like to encourage you to open it. We're going to be reading quite a bit from the book of Revelation. Uh, Some of the texts will be up there, or well, probably most of them, but still, if you would like to follow it in your Bible, please do so. This is how it starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must happen very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant John. Let's stop here. If I asked you, what is the book of Revelation all about? What would you have said? Is it the book of the end time events? Is it the book of doom and gloom? Is it the book of uh, the battle between good and evil? It says it in the first sentence. It is the revelation of what? Can, can you say it louder? It's the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In other words, if any time we open up the book of Revelation, and by the time we close it, we fail to see Jesus uplifted, Jesus touching our hearts, we miss the point of the book. We miss the point of the book. So that's the first uh first thing we would I would like to emphasize it is the revelation of Jesus Christ the second one who wrote it it says it in the last sentence all these revelations were given to his servant John now John was the disciple of Jesus John is the one who wrote one of the gospels he wrote letters and now at the end of his life he is writing a letter to seven churches so John is the writer. Now, after the first chapter in the book of Revelation, with a lot of introductions, we also find out that John was a prisoner. And this letter was written on this little island in the Aegean Sea right in the middle of the Mediterranean called Patmos. He was on a prison island. He was in exile. Now you would ask, okay, what is this island like? We know it's about 34 square kilometers. It's not a big island. We also know that it's quite picturesque. And one of you asked me the question just before we started, "Where are those photos from?" I said, "That's a prison island." He said, "That's where I would like to be imprisoned." In. <laughs> and isn't it the case? Look at the beaches. But we also know that he was a prisoner of circumstances. He was an apostle. He was the one who loved to preach, to teach, to be with people, and now he's exiled to an island. And he says, what can I do? Just like Paul, prison of circumstances, I write. And God put a message on his heart. He gave him a revelation. So he wrote the letter. And we find out all these things in the first chapter. Then the second and the third chapters of the book of Revelation are seven little letters to seven churches. And you might ask the question, well, what are these seven churches? Well, the map tells us seven churches from Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea were located not far from Patmos. Ephesus is less than 100 kilometers from Patmos. So these are the churches where John has been visiting. He knew these people, and now he gives them a message. He gives them encouragement. Now, we know that these seven little letters you read in chapters 2 and 3, they were typical of the condition of the church as a whole, both in apostolic times and throughout the Christian era. In other words, each one of those little letters were very specific to that church at that time, but it had a greater meaning for later on in the church. And as you look at the, the era of the Christian church... These seven churches are seven parts of that era. And right now, and that's a different study, but right now we are living in the last stage. That's the stage of the Church of Laodicea. And if you have time, you go home, you find it in Chapter 3 when you go home, read that little bit and you will see that, hey, it resonates with the state of the church today. And then we arrive to Chapter 4. And this is how chapter 4 begins. Then as I looked, John speaking, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Whoa, we say, now we are getting to the interesting part. This is talking about how God is going to Bring this battle to an end. This is the exciting bit. Let's see what happens after this. Are you ready for it? Yeah? Let's read it. And instantly, says John, I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on a throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and a chameleon. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and a rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, and day after day and night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the God, Lord Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on a throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on a throne. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Wow. I don't know about you, but when John was told, come on up and I'll tell you what must take place after this. I did not expect that. But instead of the horrendous pictures of war, famine, and and pestilence, instead we find ourselves in the throne room of God. And we are experiencing a worship service, a divine worship service. God's throne room is full of created beings, filled with strange sights and sounds. Did you find strange things in that that passage we read? I did. Lightning and thunder and rumblings in the distance. We don't associate that with, with worship, but somehow it is part of worship. They're beautiful colors. They're unusual creatures. And an inspiring example of how to Praise God. It gave me goosebumps when I read that, especially the songs. The images, I guess, John tried to explain it to the best of his abilities, put into human language what he has never in his life seen before. So we can understand why some of these strange things are coming through, but yet it is an inspiring example of how to praise God. And it's not over yet. Listen to... The next one, this is an artist's impression of how it might have looked like. And then we go on, and it says, And I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on a the throne. There was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it. But no one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. So here is John experiencing this this amazing worship service, this, this, this praise. And then something happens that makes him perplexed. And it pauses the worship service because he understands the importance of this scroll. And he understands what, what a terrible thing that nobody is able to open the scroll. And you know, he doesn't just lean over to the angel who was leading him to this worship service. Hey, hey, what's in that scroll? Or hey, what's happening? Why is it that nobody? He understands to the depth of it, that there is something, something going on. And what does he do? He began to weep bitterly. Not just cry, not just worry. He weeps bitterly because he knows that this has to do with the salvation of humans. And how do we know that? How do we know that? Look at this. But the one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked like as if it had been slaughtered. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And we know that he opened it. Now who is this person who takes the scroll? If you are not sure, there are quite a few identifications. It says it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, the lamb. It's Jesus Christ based on the Gospels and the Old Testament prophecies. Identifies it is Jesus who took the scroll and opened it. And at last, you know, there was a solution. And what is the response in that heavenly sin? Look at this. And they sung a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood had ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And then the worship service continues. Then I looked again And I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. And they sang in a mighty chorus Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and the four living beings said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb now we just read through two chapters from the book of revelation but it's a beautiful imagery isn't it i find it beautiful and i was when i was first reading it and studying it i was wondering what's going on here if, if God said that I'm going to take, show you, or the angel said, I'm going to show you what must take place after this, why this? Why this beautiful but seemingly irrelevant church service? Why not just get down to the nitty of us and tell us what we want to really want to know about? What about the conflict between the good and evil? How are you going to deal with the devil? What about the end of times? What about the resurrection? But instead, we are here in the throne room. Why start here? Why? Because God knew this is where we had to start. If we don't start here with worship, everything else is going to fall to pieces when we are under pressure. Everything else. We have to realize that when we read the book of Revelation, when we go through life, it's easy to focus on the wrong things I remember when I studied this scripture and in a class Dr. John Poland said we were reading it in Greek and he said did you get it guys chapter 5 yeah 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 we read it we read it we got it read it again we read it again he said "Read read it again read it again read it again He said, yeah, 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 we get it. It's a worship service. It's beautiful. And at the end, he said, okay, uh, your class, go out and, and uh, listen to a pipe organ concert. We, I was living in Budapest, so a few of us took his advice seriously. If you really want to understand it, go and listen to a pipe organ concert. So a few of us get together uh, from class. Let's find a place where they have a pipe organ concert. So we went to the Basilica in the Budapest. It's a, you can't imagine how big this building is. And it has a massive pipe organ. Those who are musicians, you understand. Uh, I just see it's big. <laughs> but you would understand it more. And um, and uh, I sat through this pipe organ concert with my friends. The acoustics are amazing. And since then, I've been back to many, many, many other concerts. But that was the first time. The acoustics are amazing. You don't even see the organist. He's they introduce him at the beginning and at the end, but he's somewhere up in a distance. You're facing the church this way. And he's playing from from back up there. And um, and you start out with some beautiful pieces, nice melodies. But then you got faster ones, you got you got louder pieces. Sorry I don't have the right terminology. Um But I remember as we were coming to an end, the very last piece started very quietly building up and building up and building up to the point where it was so loud that you, you couldn't hear it, but you felt it in every cell of your body. It was, it was loud, but it was beautifully loud. And, and at the end, it didn't die down in the melody. It stopped there. And, and that's where the piece finished. And it came to a sudden end and the whole music was echoing through the building and slowly dying down. And everybody just held their breath literally. And then somebody, not belonging to the four of us, uh, young people who went to the concert, sitting behind me two or three rows, just quietly whispered Amen. And then after a while we of course there was applause etc but it stayed with me and at that point i understood what john pauling was referring to so if you have a bible with me please turn to revelation 5 because i'm going to mention or, or talk you through what i understood at that point and what he was referring to because next day i went and i said i got it i got it i got it at last i got it Listen to this. When you are in verse 8 of chapter 5 in Revelation, it says uh, the four living creatures and the f- 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Now, how many is that? 24 plus 4? 28, thank you. 28, we are talking 28, okay? 28. Uh, 24 elders past the four living creatures 28 and it says in verse 9 and they sung a new song and there is the song 28 beautiful choir you know like perfect voices everybody can hold the tune and it must have been magnificent you know 28 then look at verse 11 then i looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering how many thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand I don't ask you to do that maths but you can imagine that's a lot of zeros. Can you imagine going from 28 to millions and be part of it all around you perfect harmony and then you think wow, it cannot be more grand and led now jump to verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and under the sea. That means everything possibly who is able to worship God was worshiping God. I can't imagine that that's beyond our comprehension. But can you see the escalation of the worship? And John is experiencing it. He's in the middle of it. And, and probably this is when I felt in that concert that it can't get louder. I feel it in every cell of my body. And he's saying it, everything, under the sea, in the sky, everywhere. And when it ends, when all these millions and billions of creatures singing praises in perfect harmony, just look at that in verse 14. The four living creatures said, Amen. After millions. There must have been just silence and oh, absolute oh. And then four living creatures say Amen. And that's exactly what I experienced at the concert. And at that time I understood what he was referring to, my teacher, because when you look at in Greek, it's even more colourful as it escalates it. So back to the worship service. It's awesome. It's unearthly. There are really odd creatures in the room, aren't there? Let's be honest, there are some odd creatures in the room. Yet somehow comforting because at least the 24 elders look like us. So there is some comfort in that room. God is worshipped by everything in heaven and on earth and everything and everyone subjects themselves to God, not because they have to, but because they choose to. Everything is voluntary. Everything is spontaneous, yet in perfect harmony. It's filled with excitement and joy and peace. And there is a sense of power here. There is a sense of wonder and an assurance that if this is my God, then my enemies watch out. If this is my God, then no matter what this world, what the end time, what my neighbor, what my enemies, what the devil throws at me, they are nothing compared to my God. And maybe, and I'm sure that this is why John is taken to a worship service. Because, The images that follow from this chapter 1 to chapter 18 in Revelation can be frightening. They can be overwhelming. But our God is bigger than any of those events that are coming. He occupies a higher ground and nothing can stand against this power and his power. So two things we can learn from these chapters. One, we will overcome. It might be tough at times, and maybe you are experiencing it right now. Once the pastor said that you are either heading into a storm, you are in the middle of a storm, or you are coming out of a storm. That's life here on earth. And the storms can be bigger, can be smaller, and we might put on a brave face, We might smile, we might mask it, but there are storms in our lives. We will overcome. Listen to this. The same John writes it quite a few years before. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Talking about the devil. He's encouraging, you have overcome you are on a winning team you know the competition is not over the match is not over but you are already on a winning team just keep playing later on or earlier on he said it in his gospel i have told you all this so you have you may have peace in me and he's quoting jesus here on earth jesus says listen to this you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because i have overcome the world, And this is what Revelation is trying to drive home to us. You will have trouble in this world. No matter how you read Revelation, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, because you belong to Jesus, you will overcome. You can overcome as long as you don't let go of Jesus' hand. The second thing, so the first one will overcome. The second thing is how we can overcome. These two chapters are telling us that if you do as we do, you will overcome. It's setting us an example. If we worship God, we will overcome. Look at what they are doing. They are singing praises to God. They are worshiping the Father. They are focusing all their attention on him. Everything is centered on the throne in the middle of the room. Why? Because when we do that, when we center our attention on God, then we are not centering our attention on our circumstances and difficulties or on our past failures and and upcoming tragedies. No, we are focusing on God. God has always been here in the past. He's here in the present. And He will be with us in the future, every step on the way. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. He understands us. You know, He lived on this earth and He experienced the greatest joy and the greatest pain. Not identical to what you are experiencing, but He knows. He understands, and he is a compassionate God. So how can we overcome? Listen to this from Paul. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, this sounds nice enough until you find yourself in a difficult and even painful circumstances. And this inspired biblical truth I know at times seemed to me like an insensitive statement. How can I be thankful when it hurts? Really, really hurts. How can I be thankful and you finish the sentence? It's the first anniversary of my mum or dad's death. How can I be thankful if the if the Prognosis for cancer is, negative, is positive. How can I be thankful if i just been given my redundancy notice at work? How can I be thankful if I've failed my test? You complete the sentence. People who would really like to feel grateful, but the circumstances seem genuine gratitude, almost impossible. How do you do that? Now, Paul is not saying put on a happy face when you're hurting inside. Being thankful in all circumstances not, doesn't mean pretending. It doesn't even mean denying. But it does mean that we must look beyond a particular circumstance. Now, he doesn't say be thankful for all your circumstances. He says be thankful in your circumstances. Just understanding that there is a bigger picture at play. And yes, it is really tough now. But I know what's coming and I know that I am on a winning team. Can give you an attitude of gratitude. You know when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. He was waiting his death sentence. He was waiting for his execution. He's been through shipwrecks, he's been through torture, he's been through flogging, he's been through so much. And he says at the end, I learned this to be content. In all circumstances. When I think of gratitude in a face of suffering, I can think of a lot of people. But all of those who were grateful had these two common. Oh, forgot about that. You know, when we are worshipping God, it's like readjusting our spiritual bearing. You know how we use compasses that show us magnetic north? And on a map, we have true north. So magnetic north and true north at times don't line up. Did you know that? You didn't. So you can go on your compass, and you actually can get to the wrong direction. Why is that? First of all... We have to readjust our bearing. How do we do that? We recognize or determine one's orientation, position, or abilities relative to one's surroundings to the situation. That's what Dr. Google says. So here you have a compass. Here you have a compass. And the reality is that in the layer of the earth, in the core of the earth in the layer, there are some magnetic differences that can show north differently at certain parts in the world although you are using the same compass. And this is what called compass declination. Now, in Australia, look at that. If you use the same map to head north and using a compass, there is no compass declination in Perth. So you're pretty much you're going to finish up where you are heading as long as you're reading your compass well and your map. I'm not saying move to Perth, but all I'm saying is that if you live in Melbourne, just be aware that there is a 10-degree declination. What does it mean? You use the same map, you use the same compass, and over a long distance you can actually completely get to the same direction, some same um, destination, because of the declination. In other words, is there anything like spiritual compass declination? Yes, there is. Can we see an example for that? Listen to this. It says, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many powerful deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you low beakers. Can we see that here is a group of people and their destination is heaven, isn't it? They are ready to enter. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to enter. Can you think of the parable of the ten virgins? Those of you who heard the parable of or read the parable the parable of the ten virgins, they are heading to the same destination, but only some of them arrive. So can you see... That there are people, even in the Bible, and Jesus warns that you have to readjust your bearing from time to time. Because you might think that you're doing the right thing. But these people, look at what they were doing. What did it? They were prophesying. They were casting out demons. They are performing miracles. You would think, wow, anyone who does that. But Jesus says, nah. You think you are doing the right thing, but you can end up at the wrong destination. So, how do we do spiritual bearing adjustment? How do we adjust our bearing? Well, I'll give you two I believe that we can learn from this chapter daily individual worship and weekly corporate worship. What we are doing here is readjusting our compass, but it's not enough. You have to do it on a daily basis, often hourly, and walking with God, knowing Him. You know what Jesus told those people who are not allowed to enter heaven? The reason for it? Go away from me, not because of what they did was wrong. Go away from me. I never knew you. It all centers on knowing God. And you only know God when you worship Him, when you sit in silence. And for a few years now, when I do my worship, I start sitting in silence and worshiping God. Initially, it t- took only one or two minutes, and I thought about why do I worship you, God? Yeah, I thought, but now the time can just blow out and no time for anything else but worshiping God. You know, there is an awe. All- and this is what chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation is all about. So when I think about people who were grateful, in the midst of suffering, I think about this man, Martin Rinkart. Now, he was a pastor in the city of Eilenburg, Germany, in the early 1660s. And if you know much about European history, that was during the Thirty-Year War in Europe. And Eilenburg was a world city, and it was often filled with refugees. And there was so much famine so much disease for 30 years because they couldn't get food in it and they couldn't get medication in it. And conditions were so horrible that thousands and thousands of people died. And for a season, Raincart was the only pastor in that town, the only minister in that town. And during this time, he performed up to 50 funerals a single day. 50 funerals in one day, day after day after day. Over his lifetime, he officiated at over 4,000 funerals. Can you imagine that, the sadness? We can only imagine the horrific suffering that he experienced. He wrote several hymns, and there is one in our hymn book that is very close to my heart. It's not well known. And he wrote that hymn after one pestilence came through the town, and his wife and all three of his children died in it. And after he buried all four of them in one funeral service, he wrote this hymn within a week. It says, Now thank we all our God. And the words go like this, and I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to highlight the ones. That are so positive, so uplifting. Can you imagine after all this sadness, pain you experienced over decades, and now the ones closest to you died and you bury them? And he writes this hymn as a response. And you know, I believe he was reading from Revelations 4 and 5 because he's quoting from Revelation 4 and 5. But he was a man who somehow mastered the attitude of gratitude in the sense, in the sight of so much pain and suffering. Those two words are the only negative words. And when you put it in context, and guide us when perplexed, and free us from all ills in this world and the next. Why did he ride that rim? Because he understands what Revelation was trying to tell us. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Focus on God's throne. Set your eyes and your mind on him who has the power to help you face and overcome the tragedies and the storms and your heartaches of your life. And that is what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what worship is all about. And that's why we gather together to sing songs, to pray, to discuss, to uplift. So may we keep our eyes on God. May we worship him. May we focus our attention on him and not on what's going wrong or right in our lives. And may we continue our journey together as a group of believers. God bless you all. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God in heaven, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for those two chapters in the book of Revelation. Lord, thank you for pointing us back to the heart of worship. It is all about you, Lord. Lord, we pray that may... These moments, these learnings, these sentiments, stay with us in the coming week, in the coming months. May we truly and deeply worship you, Lord, not just when we gather together, but day out, day in, hour by hour, and sometimes minute by minute. Lord, it's all about you, and we want to focus our attention on you, not on what happens around us. Help us, Lord. Help us to overcome our weaknesses. In your name we pray. Amen.